You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 565, Bruce, Adele and dynamic ticket pricing, Joni Mitchell's unexpected reappearance and our 100% accurate predictions for the new football season. That's all coming up after Blue Cantrell and Hit 'em Up Style. While he was scheming, I was scheming in the beamer just scheming. Can't believe that I call my men cheating. So I found another way to make him pay for it all. So I went to Neiman Marcus on a shopping spree. And on the way I grabbed Soli and Mia. And as the cash box rang, I thought everything single a sort of Beyonce spirit mm. but more than 10 years before Lemonade a very short career she had just a couple of albums five singles this was her first single number 12 in the UK number two on Billboard from 2001 Blue Cantrell and Hit 'em Up Style that is I love the spirit of that and and it also accidentally invented electro swing about eight years before <laughs> that became popular I remember Elton John an article at the time talking about um how he has this incredible
incredible music library and that he employs one person full-time and one person part-time to look after it because mm. he's got so much and that he always buys, I don't know if he still does this, but he used to buy the whole chart every week. Yes, and did. and it was like a sort of a, a real interest for him. And I remember him saying he bought something like 30 copies of, of Hit Him Up Style by Blue Cantrell to give to friends and family because he <laughs> liked it so much. So that's officially endorsed by Elton John, that tune, I believe. <laughs> Hello, thank you for joining us. It's the Parish Council, episode 565. Mm. I'm Terence Stackham and currently working full time to ensure Eurovision 2023 is mm. hosted at St Leonard's-on-Sea in Sussex. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. I mean, that would be the dream, but I will mm. settle for Brighton as second oh. choice. Uh, that would be excellent, particularly as it was where Abel won with Waterloo in 1974. Yes. So I would very much welcome that as a thing there's currently a big debate locally as to whether or not Gatwick is close enough to qualify as the international airport that you're now required to have for a Eurovision venue apparently oh, which is why would, yeah. yeah which is why when it takes place in in eastern European countries it's almost always in the capital because that's where Right. That's where the international airport is likely to be. That's my boring facts of the day. Good morning, mm. everybody. That's a bit of a kick in the shins for Bournemouth Airport there, then. Well, I've flown quite. out of internationally. Yes. I was going to say, well, who knows? I wouldn't be anti-Bournemouth as a Euro venue, mm. so let's see. It's only a week or two since we were wondering what was happening with Adele's postponed shows in Las mm. Vegas. And clearly prompted by our questions, she's now rearranged the dates um, for November through to March 2023. That's very kind of her, yes. yes. 32 performances, and she's expected to make between half a million and one million dollars per show. I was going to say, I thought that doesn't sound very much. Oh, yes, it's per Per show. show. Now, you might think, well, why is that figure not more precise? Well, welcome to the new world of dynamic ticket Mm. pricing. I where really blocks like of tickets this. are now put into a sort of lottery crossed with the stock market and the likes of Ticketmaster aim to achieve the highest possible ceiling in terms of what a smallish card of fans are willing to pay. Mm. Bloomberg reported this week that summer Dell tickets are on offer for over $40,000 for one seat. Um, in, the, in the last week, um, there's been much ballyhoo um, as the, the friend of the working man, Bruce Springsteen, has also been fishing mm. in this dynamic ticket pricing pond with tickets, which has which has caused uproar among fans of the boss, famous for his songs mm. about the downtrodden and the labouring man. Quite. Where do you where do you stand with this, Jules? Some will cry exploitation, but isn't it just bringing the free market into showbiz? I just think it's crazy. I just I'm not on board with this at all. It's it just seems to be and particularly for artists like Bruce Springsteen, as you say, hardly the act of the working man anymore. The if blue that's the, collar that's man. The, quite. I just I just seems to be yet another dispiriting kind of d- tribune of, of greed of that seems to have infected some somewhere else, really. You know, we've talked about ticket prices, prices mm-hmm. sort of leaning towards the unaffordable anyway. And even to get a basic ticket at the Hyde Park event seems to be crazy before you even factor in, you know, hospitality and packages and that sort of thing. I went to a gig on Friday evening in one of my local pubs in St. Leonard's in the back room of the pub. It was sold out. It was absolutely rammed. And I saw a band called Air Called. It was their third gig. Um, It was the album launch party. The the band includes somebody who releases own critically acclaimed albums on their own label um the former drummer and keyboard player of elastica and a former bass player from the wedding present amongst other bands and also used to play with albertine um how much do you think i paid for this ticket city uh today's sort of rates 50 quid I paid three pounds to see that gig <laughs> in the back room and it was the best gig I've seen in ages. I saw lots of people on it and I had a lovely time. So I come to you as a woman that had a great time at a gig on Friday night for three, three pounds. pounds. The, the the half of beer I bought beforehand <laughs> only cost 80 pence less than my ticket to the gig. Um, so speaking as a woman from that perspective, I'm not a huge fan of dynamic ticket pricing. I cannot be asked to pay four and a half grand, particularly what I find so offensive about it is is, is exactly what you say about the stock market elements. Mm. I'm not paying. So if I'm buying shares on the stock market, I'm buying them as an investment, aren't I? And I'm buying them to use yeah. that old phrase. Shares may go down as well as up. And, you know, and I buy into the risk and that's what I want to do. I am not buying 
an investment or a risk here. I am buying a ticket for a product, which is a one-off gig. I, and, and even if I buy tickets, if I buy tickets dynamically priced and they cost a lot more, my understanding is you don't get any more for that. You don't get VIP access because you've happened to pay four grand because that's how much mm-hmm. the tickets cost at that point in time. It's just, it's a mad lottery. And I'm not, I don't want to play this lottery. I don't want to buy shares. I just want to buy a ticket for this pigging gig. So, so my view is that it's, it's so far removed about from what going to see live music should be about, really. Mm. I would much rather pay three pounds to see someone that isn't Bruce Springsteen in my local pub <laughs> than I would this. So no, Terence, it's a no from me, I'm afraid. I can't help but feel uh, maybe fear that this is the future. Mm. Of course, mm. the artists, the artists at the moment now have to appear remote to this. Steve Van Zant from Springsteen's mm. E Street Band. He was asked about dynamic ticket pricing on Twitter. He's because Bruce, uh, it doesn't appear personally on uh, social media, but mm. Steve Van Zant does. And He's representative Zandt, on Earth, I think, Stevie Van. Zandt. Yeah, exactly. Now he didn't condemn it. He just responded that he he has nothing to do with ticket prices, and that's probably true of most musicians. And I don't doubt that Bruce Springsteen, I don't know, Lady Gaga, I don't imagine they have much of a role in setting ticket prices or the cost of a beer or a t-shirt in mm. any venue. But but I think crucially, they could step in and ensure that genuine fans are able to attend. But yes, maybe, I agree. Maybe, of course, many musicians don't. I mean, offered a few million more quid. Look at Adele. So that's going to be somewhere Mm. between uh, 16 and 32 million dollars just for that Mm. run of shows. If you're offered that amount of money, I guess many musicians will just say, well, thanks very much and buy another house in Mm. Florida or Laurel Canyon. But. Let's have a little test here, Jules. I, I want go to on. see how far you would you would go. Let's say you really want to go to see one or two of your favourite artists. How much would you, in the real world, commit to financially? Or you, you might say no musician is worth, you know, however yes. many. But I'm bringing on on three consecutive weeks to your, let's say, to your Delaware Pavilion. Oh yes, Kate Bush, Steely Dan. And PJ Harvey. Oh yes, and okay. It's dynamic. It's now it's, it's dynamic ticket pricing now, and so you know, don't worry about what's on that face of that ticket. I'm charging you a thousand pounds for oh. one ticket for each gig. Are you going to pay? Several of your friends are going. They say, "Oh well, I paid mm. for it, George." So you've got you know, the fear of missing out. So yes. to see PJ Harvey in a small, intimate, perhaps yes. Uh, place your friends are going would you pay a thousand pounds well so so the delaware pavilion has a capacity of roughly 1500 so so in terms of how intimate that is the only sort of similar thing i can think of that i have seen that it's a big band is i saw the pixies there as a warm-up for their tour in 2019 and we were on the front row and that was absolutely amazing of the three acts you give me, PJ Harvey is the nearest I would probably come to pay a thousand pounds. So you I, would consider it. Let's just. I, it down I would. I would. I would. It. I would vaguely consider it, but I suspect that the sensible part of me would rule out and say, and I and I think it's and actually make, thinking about this makes me think it's a moral issue. Actually, this and I think that I would think about the pros because I do think about things. I might sound daft on this sometimes, but I do think about things quite deeply, and I think my feeling would be thinking about the cost of living crisis we are currently going through in this in this country and thinking of how there are people using food banks and and how how you know difficult it's going to be for a lot of people and it's going to get worse this winter with the the energy price cap coming off i don't think in in it you know in my heart of hearts in good conscience i even if i did have a thousand pounds to pay cpj harvey i don't i probably don't think i could so let, let i push think you, can i push you to your limit it's the, let's go let's say it's the pub that you went to on friday night very mm. small back room of a pub and you hear that PJ Harvey is doing a, a, a quiet gig. She's yeah. warming up for a tour. Yeah. And a friend of yours says, look, I can get you in. There's only going to be 50 of us there, maybe 25 of yes. us, 50 of us there. I can get you in, but I've got to pay. You know, I'm getting it through a, a dynamic ticket pricing. Yes. So it's in a small, tiny pub mm. in St. Leonard's on Sea. And, you know, you might get to talk to a thousand pounds. Are you? I, are you I would. 
uh, I mean, that, that that would be the hardest question for me to say no to, I think. But I think the ultimate... Oh, I, t- I don't know, Terence. I, I know. They, see, I, this is I'm the thing sure. we don't... Yeah. I, I don't mean to sort of twist you in, no, in no, half. No, so. no, um, It's just, this is the thing. This is why it yes. works, you see. Because, yes. you know, we, we, even though you, you might have that inner voice saying no, but... You're, you know, you've got at least a percentage of yourself tempted, and I fully understand why. Mm. If you know, I was in the same position yeah, exactly. just down it's the road here. Shirts, Kate Bush it? or Steely Dan were warming up in a pub around the corner. I said, "Oh, it's a lot of money," but oh, you know, you, the, a part of you would do it, and that's how it works, of course, because there are certain people that are so so dedicated to Adele or Bruce mm. that they're going to say. Well, it's a lot of money, you know, but maybe we won't go yeah. um, on and, holiday and to Disney really... World this year. You know, we'll do this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really good demonstration that you did just there mm. of that. Also, going back to the Adele point and the, mm. and the missing on holidays in Disney's world, I'd be interested to see... And I, I don't know, so maybe I'm just being ignorant here. What happened to all the people that booked tickets well, for Adele the first time round? And mm. will they now have to pay through dynamic pricing? Because I think that is wrong if they now have to pay through dynamic pricing when they when they bought tickets and flights and things previously to see Adele, which was then cancelled last minute. I really hope those people are offered the opportunity to buy tickets again if they were refunded and that they don't have to go through dynamic pricing because I think that is totally wrong if they do see if it, even if those tickets are honored which like you i hope they certainly are yes. what about as you rightly point out loads of people who we saw in the papers and social yes. media at the time who said that's all very well but i've booked flights mm. from copenhagen london mm. madrid to come in for this um at you know five thousand pounds for the family and hotels at three grand yes, for three exactly. nights. what about that and yeah, I imagine exactly. they're going to be left hanging. Yeah, quite. So, so, and, and in that sense, I do think that is morally wrong. Mm. That's my feeling. Coming right up, it's the week of the comeback. Mm. Uh, Joni Mitchell appeared live at the yes. Newport Boat Festival. That's next after ABBA.
We moved from dynamic ticket pricing to dynamic summer hits. I'm a very big fan of how, even by Abbott standards, that just that is a banger, isn't it? That just that thumps along. It's relentless, and it's it's not always one that's mentioned as sort of one of their perennial hits that you know gets trotted out all the time. But I like it even more for that. Uh, don't get me wrong, I like Dancing Queen, but I've heard it so many times. Mm, yeah. And whereas Summer Night City. I think it's got a lot of dynamism to it, like we say, and I think that that's, I think that's a lot of fun. It's Summer Night City by ABBA. I, you know, I'm grateful that you picked ABBA. The reason being, apart from mm. being tippity top, was yes. that it made me think earlier today. I thought I'm going to go and look to see if there's any fan footage of the ABBA CGI show. Oh yes, in London a couple of months ago, and there is. There's loads of it all over yes. YouTube. And do you know what? It looked really, really good. People Everyone having a I great know. time. Absolutely. Everyone I know that's gone has absolutely raved about it and mm. said how brilliant it is. So, so yes, it seems to have got universally great fan reviews. There was an amazing comeback at the Newport Folk Festival mm. in Rhode Island this week. 80-year-old Paul Simon uh, turned up and performed four songs, Graceland, American Tomb, mm. The Boxer and The Sound of Silence. But that return to the stage was, as you may have heard, upstaged by the most unexpected comeback of Joni Mitchell, 78 years old and 53 years since her last appearance at Newport. And it's seven years since Joni had a very serious uh, brain aneurysm rupture, and it was generally felt Mm. she would never appear live on stage again. Well, the clever part of Brandy Carlyle's setup for Joni's stage performance, mm. I felt, was to replicate the situation at her home where she regularly hosts private Joni Jams. Yes. So that Joni felt totally comfortable and could join in if she wanted to, but she wasn't under pressure. She could just sit in that chair if she wanted to. But well, what, ex- a, what a wonderful person to think about that in that level just, of deep power. Such how, a how brilliant. clever concept, yes, who, who, and that's very thoughtful. All of us need a friend like Brandy Carlyle. We all don't need we? a Brandy Carlyle. The extraordinary thing um, that, even given everything that's happened, mm. her singing was great, and she was right mm. on the ball. She was. It was. It was. A, it maybe a gamble, Jules, but it it worked. Absolutely. How how moving and delightful mm. to see Joni Mitchell back, and like you say, on great form, and and you know having a lovely time. You know, kudos to Brandy Carlyle for facilitating mm. that, and it just goes to show, actually. The, and I think we talked about Brian Wilson's travails before and, and me having having seen him and that was that was fine and good and, and, and well done. But it, it, it goes to show, I think, how important it is for these these big performers. And I would count, you know, Joni Mitchell and Brian Wilson as big, you know, these big mm. heritage acts um, as they are now, sadly. But um, but it just goes to show how important it is. To keep your judgment, I think, and to keep your judgment to the point where you retain good judgment in the people that you're close to and the people that you have around you. Because then when it comes to making comebacks, everyone around you helps you to be the best that you can. And actually, it was very telling that um, when David Bowie's albums were released from nowhere, you know, when he came mm. back with the, with the next day and it just landed, didn't it, one morning on today, it just it just turned up. I remember someone saying at the time, can you imagine how much everybody around David Bowie must love him? I mean, admittedly, they probably had to sign NDAs, etc. But mm. but how much the people around him must love him that that didn't leak out. Nobody said anything. And I think, mm. and again, to bring PJ Harvey up again, there's never been an official biography of PJ Harvey. There was a, a sort of a cut and paste one, which was OK as far as it went, called Siren Rising. But what was very apparent from that was it had to be cut and paste because nobody in PJ Harvey's inner circle would talk because they knew that she didn't want to do an autobiography. Mm. And I always think that maybe we can think about that as as when you say you can judge people by their friends. Part of me is tempted to think, well, actually, people like Joni Mitchell and David Bowie and PJ Harvey, they must they must be the sort of people that inspire loyalty in their friends that, you know, you've got people like Brandy Carlyle who can who will support you to be, you know, to, to be as comfortable as you possibly can. People like David Bowie that won't tell anybody else about your plans. People like PJ Harvey's friends who, and collaborators who know her well enough that they won't talk. I, I I just think it's very moving in a way. And, and often comebacks are are as much about who you've got around you and how well that is managed, really. And I think it's it's a measure of people as to how good your judgment is to who you pick to help you. Comebacks are tricky, aren't they? I mean, almost mm. certainly that the best I witnessed was Kate Bush at Hammersmith yes. in 2014. Oh, of course. Incredibly emotional, beautifully staged. Mm. Um, 
I, I don't think I mean to be controversial, but I think a forgotten poor comeback on record was John Lennon's Double Fantasy in 1980. Yes. Very plodding, dull album. Yeah, And re- received really negative reviews when it came out. And it was going down the charts very, very quickly. Yes. But everyone, of course, remembers it at the top of the charts because it's unfavorable, yes. uh, unfavorable reviews where they were suddenly forgotten when Lennon was, was murdered. Yes, and suddenly it was, went to the top yes, of the charts. Anyway. absolutely. The worst live comeback I saw and I wish I hadn't I wish I hadn't mm. gone um because I'm left with this memory uh it was Frank Sinatra at the Royal oh, Albert gosh. Hall and um he he was he seemed very vague he had to be helped to the mm. microphone when he came on his voice with it by his son his his, his mm. voice was really gone um he had auto cue I mean it was really sad to watch mm. so you know I would say choose your comeback concerts with 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 care absolutely having said that isn't it interesting how sometimes things might go on for a bit long as it you know comebacks mm-hmm. are comebacks meant to be a state of permanence or are comebacks meant to be um meant to be sort of just the last hurrah mm. i the greatest comeback on record for me i think mm. of all time was maria by blondie i think that is the ultimate comeback tune yes. and mm. i saw blondie a few years later at latitude in 2008 they were in what was very bizarre scheduling, they were second from top on the other stage on the Sunday evening. So the main stage headliner was Interpol, who we saw on our, our way back from Blondie mm. to our tents. Poor old Tinder Sticks headlined above Blondie. And I remember seeing the tent absolutely empty, including oh, me, before they were about yeah. to come on. And just thinking, because the, the tent, I think, that had was a poor capacity, planning. Wasn't it? The tent had a capacity of something like 12,000, I think we were Frank. told. 10 to 12,000. And it was sort of six deep outside for Blondie. Mm. And they came on and they did the first three tracks of Parallel Lines all in sequence. And it was absolutely thrilling. And Debbie Harry's voice was spot on and they were brilliant absolutely brilliant so you know this part of the comeback was great i remember us us um over uh, on the monday morning we'd stayed overnight and on the monday morning we drove back and when we stopped at a local petrol station the first front pages of all the eastern mm. daily press had all pictures of blondie and debbie harry on and it was a big deal a friend of mine saw them five years later i think it would have been about 2013 and said that her voice had gone at that oh, point so it just and I, I don't know if they're still I know that she was doing the, the tour of her book recently but mm. I don't know if they're still playing regularly I, it, it, heroically they were asked to they were sent a contract to play the Russia Olympics and uh, the Winter Olympics and they refused on the great on, and they, mm. they, they there was a, went viral a picture of the offer with them written, writing something like no thanks gay rights over the front of it which mm. I very much admire them for doing but yeah I, one wonders when you do come back and it is a success how tempting is it to then keep flogging that horse I think there's um there, there can be a bit of a balance I mean I, I think like we talked about with Sir Paul at uh, Glastonbury mm. I think to a degree as um yes. fans we can forgive the failure of a voice but i think what's vital is that the artist has to have a degree of sentience you Mm. know the thing with frank uh frank sinatra was that what was was kind of embarrassing and worrying was that you sort of had this feeling that he wasn't entirely sure where he was what he was doing and that was the the really really sad part you know as we've said before if a performer can't quite get those high notes and the backing band kind of help out and that's sort of thing, we've come i think now mm. to say well okay it's paul mccartney he can do what he wants it's debbie yeah. harry she can do what he wants but i think where it gets embarrassing and worrying is if the person has to be you know helped to the microphone and and mm perhaps has to read off an auto cue. Thank you very much for coming yes, to exactly. the Royal yeah. Albert Hall. Yes. You know, that that's where it gets. Yeah, uh, it's argue, it, it's arguable that maybe let's think 30 or 40 years ago, music critics had too much influence. So the, a sharply negative review mm. from Charles Sean Murray or I don't know, Paul Morley could have a catastrophic effect on careers of upcoming bands or musicians. Uh, in 1975, I looked a few of these up. In 1975, Rolling Stone magazine described a Lou Reed album as the tubular tubular groaning of a galactic refrigerator. <laughs> Rolling Stone also called Radiohead's OK Computer as Dud of the Month. 
Mm. Uh, Pitchfork described Goldfrapp's seventh tree as a, as sonic dishwater. So oh in the past, Jules, uh, music criticism, um, it used to be described as a, as a sort of blood sport, really. But these days, mm. reviewers are wary, I think, of criticising in case they get blacklisted by labels or well, quite, managers. Yes, yes, I agree. And I think that's really sad, actually. And that kind of shows what I mean, the music business has always been a business. But there seems to be what with what with this and also the, the dynamic ticket pricing that we're talking about. <laughs> it seems to be the emphasis seems to be on business more than it ever has been before, hasn't it? And and I, I find this rather difficult and um, rather um, upsetting, I think, really, the idea that, that critics cannot write freely or rather are afraid to write freely. Sometimes I wonder if critics are, I mean, critics can get it wrong, can't they? Critics yeah, frequently yeah. get it wrong. Um, and there's this, you know, this idea of, you know, 54 million whoever fans can't be wrong. Um, yeah, I, I just feel that, um, that, that it's... Are critics are critics being made to feel that they're afraid to criticise, or do to, do critics sometimes get taken in by things? Do is it a sort of an emperor's new clothes thing? I mean, I think I'm thinking back to all of the hysterical reviews of "Be Here Now" by Oasis when it was released, mm. and how it was almost treated by music critics as the second coming. Now, some of them might have felt some pressure from from the Oasis bandwagon. Some of them might have just been genuinely overexcitable, like lots of people are. Maybe there is a herd mentality with critics and maybe sometimes critics get swept along with enthusiasm. Maybe it might be that. I don't know. Maybe that's an overly generous um, interpretation of that. It's... um, there's some rather disappointing quotes in this article from the Telegraph with someone saying, I've had friends in journalism telling me they've passed up reviewing major pop artists because they don't have the mental and emotional capacity to bother with the backlash. Mm. And then what and the, by backlash, we don't necessarily always mean from the artist or their record label themselves. You now have to deal with virulent fan bases on social media. And again, that's rather alarming. You know, try reviewing One Direction negatively six years ago and see how that that got you along, really. <laughs> yes. It's pretty um, it's and it looks like, you know, the balance is now tipped towards um major like you say major labels um this quote here from john wolf um saying titles have to pan to the big artists they need their exclusive to survive this is music press um they're not going to come out and slate a huge artist because it will be detrimental to them as a publication and they're less likely to be offered those interview opportunities in the future it means critics will fall, feel more of a need to be a helper than to give a real opinion and i think that's really well put um very little of the music press exists now compared to how it used to be but even like the mainstream papers will adele want an exclusive interview with the sunday times magazine if their if their radio if their music critic has given her album two out of five mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. probably not I, I i think you're you're right it's a it's a, a bit of a tight road to walk but i was just thinking about you know like some reviewers can get it wrong it just reminded me that this um month in the oldie magazine um the mm. very odd uh columnist uh, rachel johnson um uses her entire yes. column to apologize for a review she gave of the Kate Bush show in 2014 that she spent the because um, now because with the the, the um, reemergence of Kate Bush. Oh, yes, she's rising high again, isn't she? Yeah. Things, of course. Um, so she spent her whole column, Rachel Johnson, because um, she in 2014 was so lucky to be given tickets to go to see yes. Kate Bush and spent the entire review waffling on about how she wasn't a lithe eight stone 19 year old anymore and wow. she acknowledges um this mm. time in the older that she got it wrong no it's a difficult um uh, uh, fair play to, to rachel johnson for acknowledging that she got well, it wrong in fairness so, yeah. yeah i mean nobody wants anodyne vanilla reviews or brainless no. adulation of a gig or recording but on the other hand i think what I, I, it disturbs me a bit many writers I, I feel these days it's very so competitive now to get a gig uh, in one of the especially one of the national newspapers. Mm. They're looking to make a name for themselves, and by being spiteful about a musician, you can make yourselves come self come across as like big big time Charlie. But mm. it is horrible if they have the power to stall or even yes. their careers. Yes, I agree. What's next? I'll tell you what's next. It's our Premier League football predictions for 22-23. Hey! 
exciting. That's right after this new wave classic from Tours. played such a lot on the radio in 1979 totally infectious a slice of post-punk new wave magic it didn't get near the charts but remains two minutes and 11 seconds of pure joy from 1979 tours and language school i love that i mean i'd never heard it before i was not familiar with it it was really um really great it was really new to me and it's the sort of thing that i absolutely love so mm. so I I'm surprised that I I wasn't able to have found that previously but I'm a big fan. They're they're from your part of the country they're from Poole in Ooh, Dorset yes, just along the, the south coast. coast. Yes, absolutely. Well, the time has come. We can't avoid it any longer. The 2022-23 football season has arrived on our doorsteps sooner than ever because of the intervention of the ludicrous, contemptible award of the World Cup to Qatar, which interrupts the season in November and December. So here we are. We're not out of July, but uh, we we, we, we arrive with our almost certainly uh, unreliable and dodgy predictions Mm. for the domestic season. As every year, um, I have my pen and paper. I'm going to be writing them down, Jules. As every year, we have five categories, uh, the first of which is the prediction for the winners of the division below the Premier League. Jules, who will win the EFL Championship this season? Well, I regret to inform you on yesterday's evidence, not QPR, I reckon. So, And my my wild, I have to say, looking back on last season when I wildly predicted them to win it, we were actually in the top three for a very long time until we had a collapse in in March and April and ended up 10th. We usually end up 10th, so I wouldn't have minded, (laughs) but it's just a bit choking after everything that happens. Um, I am going to predict that Coventry City will win the championship this season. Wow, okay. well, I wasn't expecting that, but I've, I've never been less certain about my predictions for all of our mm. categories, I have to say. Yes, this is going to be pure pie in the sky for me. And the championship winners are impossible to predict, I say. Yes. But I'm going for Burnley. Um, oh, OK. They're going to be a totally different attacking side under Vincent Company, yes. And I feel they may be the best bet. And uh, Middlesbrough are my each, each way outsider. But Burnley are my pick. The category next is one in which Jules generally excels last year year she was correct again so no pressure Juliet um which premiership manager will be the first to leave their club 
Well, I mean, I I feel very pressured with my uh, with my predictions well, now. You're very good at this. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I have had a reasonably good track record. Even the season I didn't win, my off the bat mm. prediction of uh, of Jose Mourinho is probably the greatest thing I'll ever do on this podcast. Mm. I'm not quite sure of the pronunciation of this, Ooh, okay. but the chap that manages Wolverhampton Wanderers, Ooh. Bruno Large, yeah, I'm not sure that will end well. That will be my prediction. It could. Be Bobby that it'll all turn out to be fine but I, I think Wolves might struggle this season and he was only appointed in 2021. In the past, you go, he's only been manager since 2021 but it seems like clubs have less patience with managers than yes. ever. So I that would be my prediction for this season. I'm sure they'll go on to do great now but we'll see. I think with sadness, it may be super Frank at Everton. Oh yes, that's quite possible, isn't it? I'm not convinced Frank Lampard is destined to be a football manager. Mm. Um, it all went pear shaped last season, and I can't see a, I just can't see a reason for improvement. Um, no. So here's my pick, but I'm going outside bet, and forgive me for this. It's, I'm not trying yeah, to have two at once. These are just outsiders, but I'm going with Frank. But I say my outsider Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea because yes. the Todd Bowley revolution has seen a summer of frustration in the mm. transfer market. And it's possible that uh, Tuchel just gets completely fed up and just think, what the hell am I doing here? And it could swiftly spiral downwards at Stamford Bridge. So he's my outsider. That seems Um, fair enough to me. But Super Frank is is my bet. Um, Yeah, we, we generally pick who we think will be a surprise side, which team may perform beyond expectations. Who's who is it, Juliet? Um, I am going to have a, I'm going to have a go and see if we can have a surprising season from Brentford this season. Okay. I think that, that, that they, although they have lost Ericsson again, mm. I, their set up there seems very good. And I think they could, they could go on a, on a bit of an unexpected run. So I'll go for Brentford. There has to be a heavy duty expectation from both the fans and the Saudi owners of Newcastle. Yes, um, you'd think. Wouldn't they you? brought in good defenders. They certainly need a big name goal scorer in this transfer window. Yes. But I'm expecting Newcastle to finish in the top eight. So they're going to be my overperforming side of 22-23. Fair enough. That, that, I mean, I, hope, I think the population in Newcastle is very much hoping that you're right. Yes. Now we're getting to the, the, the big hitters now. The meat the now, yes. yes. Which three clubs will be leaving us through relegation? Well, so this season, I've decided to get a little bit of help with my predictions. Oh, OK. So rather than relying on my own increasingly unreliable, flaky brain... <gasps> The You might have heard of the website 538, which initially started as a predictions website for the American general election. They've now specialised in making statistical predictions for a number of different things. They have produced the Premier League club soccer predictions for this season, Ooh. which they will be updating every week once they get all the stats in because everything is done on statistical analysis. So I thought that I would take the the first week initial predictions mm-hmm. from the 538 so so they could help me this week so 538 predict that the team that will finish in 20th place at the bottom of the premier league um they have a less than 1% chance of winning the league according to according to these stats and they have a 45% chance of relegation according <laughs> to these stats and nottingham forest i'm afraid um okay. The Team 19 with a 44% chance of relegation, and again, a less than 1% chance of winning the league, are Bournemouth. Yeah. And a 41% chance of relegation, um, Fulham. So those are your three. So these are my, my bottom three this season, according to my friends at 538. So it's the, you've got there the three yes. teams that were promoted yeah. last season, yes. finishing bottom three. Yes. And I have to say it was tempting to simply pick the three newly promoted yes. clubs. I think Fulham might just cling on, but I, I, I wouldn't argue against you at all. Mm, I think they enough. might just cling on uh, this time, they, they, but who knows. So I, I'm very similar to you. I'm going for Bournemouth to be bottom and Notts Forest to be second bottom. So I've just got mm. your two round the other way. I'm just thinking for the 18th place and finally to go in. I'm just thinking surely Southampton's time yes. is running out. Well, accord, according to 538, they are 17th. There we with are. A, with a 30% chance of relegation. So I think that is quite possible. Well, there we are. I think we, 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 we're guaranteeing 
Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest to go in one order or another. Yes. And then we've got Southampton and Fulham battling out to cling on. Yes, for, the third for last place. Closer. Absolutely. Now, the very big finish. The top mm. four clubs in order, please, Juliet, Lucy. From four to one. Are you happy yes, with that? Yes, that would be nice. Yeah, four to one. So, according to our friends at 5.38, um, and a less than 1% chance of relegation, um, a 5% chance of winning the league, but a 42% chance of making the Champions League, Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, OK. All we'll right. pick them in fourth. I quite like the look of them. I think things have sort of settled a bit there, and I'm happy to be endorsed by 538 on this. In third place, with a 60% chance of making the UK Champions League and 11% chance of winning the league in third place, your Chelsea. I knew you were going to say so, that. So, so I don't think I, we're going to have much of a surprise for the top two, are we? We might not. No. So, and and actually, uh, having read these predictions, this you could talk a lot about how money and factors have made uh, quite often make modern football quite disappointing, which is why the Liverpool revelation from a few years ago was so exciting. Mm. But with an 83% chance of making the Champions League and a 30% chance of winning the league, we have Liverpool in second. Mm. And so, inevitably, as night follows day, with 91% chance of making the UK, the, the European Champions League and a 46% chance of winning the league, we'll say Man City. So let's see if statistics turn out to be correct or if they are lies, damned lies. So for Juliet, from four to one, Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City. Um but really, I'm I'm just jiggling around a bit with, yes. with those, but with one alteration. Fourth, my Chelsea. Um, yes. Though, as I say, that could all go possibly disastrously yes, wrong. Yes, I suspect um, that's right. Now, I've got a wild, mad pick mm. for third place. I've just gone bizarre. Go on. Arsenal. Oh, OK. The reason for that is they wall- I watched this in the middle of the night uh, about a week ago. They oh, walloped yes. Chelsea 4-0 in pre-season mm. in a game in America. And they looked right. so well organised mm. um, uh, that I thought, gosh, if they play like that, they, they could do OK. Yeah. Same old story, though. I've got Liverpool to finish second, same as you. And who can stop Manchester City? A fantastic squad of players, only enhanced further, surely, by the yes. newly arrived Erling Haaland, though he missed a... Absolutely. Goal from about three feet out yes, yesterday. Quite. I, I hope that um, does not damage you. Just by the way, Arsenal fifth on the on the the. Ah, I'll write that. I'll, I'll put that so. down. Yeah. Um, I actually did a full uh, one to twenty-two. So let's see who I put fifth. Oh, I put Tottenham fifth. So we've just juggled. We we. Yes, I suspect that when you go down your list, it's probably not going to be dissimilar. So from from one to twenty, just as interest to see how many you you got in with this this statistically predicted list. Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal 5, Manchester United 6, Aston Villa 7th, Brighton 8th, Leicester 9th, West Ham 10th, Crystal Palace 11th, Brentford 12th, Newcastle 13th, Wolves 14th, Everton 15th, Leeds 16th, Southampton 17th and then Fulham, Mm. Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest to go down. I won't tire you with my reading out my 1 to 20, but they aren't terribly dissimilar to that. There's no radical changes. Yes. Thanks very much for listening this week. Thank you. I'm indebted as always. The Premier League of Radio can be found <laughs> with Juliet on a Sunday evening. You can. You can join me from 7 to 9 p.m. on uh, um, on Noisebox Radio, um, noiseboxradio.com. You can get Alexa to find it for you and do all sorts of snazzy things. Um, 7 to 9 p.m., smooth sailing, yacht rock, easy listening, MOR, classic pop, nothing too troublesome, relaxing and uplifting, a smooth vibes for a Sunday evening. A genuine summer banger as our closer this week, George. Absolutely. Modern pop. I'm not usually, I don't usually <laughs> collide with modern pop, but this is great. And this is a, I said to my friend Janine the other day, if I do eventually stumble onto Desert Island Discs, mm. this has been the soundtrack of my summer, this song, and this might have a fighting chance of going in the top eight. We're recording this just before England's Lionesses play Germany in the Women's Euros 2022 final at Wembley that kicks off not long after we'll be recording this. I was fortunate enough, as we said on the podcast, to go and see three of the matches, including the quarterfinal versus Spain, which is the tensest I've ever been in a public place, I think, <laughs> never mind in, in, in a football stadium. And... After England's score, 
the the chorus of this the the the, the trumpet led chorus is blared out across the stadium and everyone sings along including me in a slightly yobbish manner and my friend Janine who I go to watch his match with said she rather loves the fact that everybody in the stadium knows this yet when you watch it on TV they never actually play the music on TV you just hear everybody tunelessly shouting along so this is the sound of my summer this is uh, Kung's featuring Cooking on Three Burners or Versus Cooking on Three Burners and uh, this girl Listening to a Parish Council production.